The following message has been brought to you by Trinity Baptist Church. For more information, visit us on the web at trinitybc.org. As you are seated, I encourage you to open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. We have been walking uh, verse by verse through the Gospel of Matthew. And last week, some of you uh, were aware, was the uh, day that we recognized uh, Sanctity of Human Life. It's called Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. Uh, Traditionally, for the past five years, on that Sunday, I have brought forth a message uh, on the subject of the sanctity of human life. Uh, This past week, uh, last week, I I didn't have a piece from the Lord about it. I I really was thinking that I would wait until we got a little bit closer closer to the election season uh, to bring the message similar to what I'll bring even this morning before us. But this week, uh, this week as I was studying the book of Jeremiah, specifically the latter portion of the ending of Jeremiah 20, which we'll look to in a moment. Um, God really laid upon my heart the reasoning why I didn't bring forth a message last week, and I am this week. It's the fact that I had not really arrived at what I believe God wanted me to say until this week. And I do believe, I know God laid that message last week upon my heart, and I believe that it was meant and it fell um, on open ears last week to all who were listening I do believe God was in that and had a word for many of you last week, but I do believe this week especially, um, God has a word for us from His Word. Um, A word on a subject that is a hot topic issue and has been for most of all of my life and most of many of your lives, uh, that being the subject of the sanctity of human life, um, specifically in application to abortion and the legality of abortion, and the justification even of abortion given certain circumstances. You know, two years ago, Roe v. Wade was overturned. Our Supreme Court recognized that it is not a constitutional right of a woman to make that determination. Uh, it has not solved the argument at all in that the courts have not recognized a constitutional right uh, to life for the unborn. And so no rights have been acknowledged in the Constitution for an unborn child. And so the debate has now turned to the states. The fight has now turned to the states. The states are now free in the voters and the way we vote and the legislators and the way they legislate uh, to determine in each state uh, what laws will govern the use of abortion and the um, uh, legality even of abortion. Here in the state of Florida, we had a 15-week Uh, After 15 weeks, abortion was banned. That's moved to six weeks if the courts work through um, the whole process. Uh, It will turn into a six-week abortion ban, but there's still six weeks open, uh, especially for chemical abortions where a woman has um, now, even according to a lot of the counseling agencies in the state of Florida that deal with working through women who've gone through abortion, it's really a... It's worked to a detriment in a way because there's a higher pressure in six weeks for a woman to make a determination, and there's less time for counseling to come in to speak the grace of God, the hope that is in God into those situations. And so they're actually dealing with a higher number of chemical abortions in the first six weeks, of, or at least what some women believe to be the first six weeks of their pregnancy. I, I say all of that information to say the, the fight is far from over. The, the fight really has just begun. It's actually now uh, something that we are able to fight over, whereas before the Supreme Court had played a trump card that there was not even a fight to be had, that there now is a reasoning, a cause for us who know the Scripture, who us, for us who know the Word of God, to speak forth more clearly, to speak forth even more loudly than we ever have before, because I do believe there is much at stake 
regarding this issue. And so this morning, I want to begin the message by giving to you a statement, a statement that I believe defines well the biblical view of the sanctity of human life. Uh, We've looked to this statement for the past four years, I believe, maybe even five years, and, and so I want to cover it briefly, looking to the Word of God to show you from God's Word why I hold to this statement, but we're not going to spend a lot of time on that. That's really an introductory overview that's a review for many who have been with us uh, for the past four or five years, but I realize there's many of you here who haven't been, and so it will be new to you. I ask you to open your ears wide. I do. I ask you to drink from a fire hose for a bit to, to get a biblical overview of what the Bible teaches regarding the sanctity, the uniqueness, the set-apartness is that what that word sanctity means, the, the set-apartness of, of human life that is more valuable than, than any other living thing that has been created, to look at it afresh and anew with open eyes, because the reality is all of you have come in here this morning with preconceived ideas about the sanctity of human life and about abortion and about the justification of abortion, especially regarding hard circumstances. And so what I want to do is give you this statement that we're about to look to, quickly review it, and then the remainder of our time, it's really a two-part sermon, is going to be spent in reflection of Jeremiah 20 in light of Jeremiah 1, uh, which I believe contains a word for us as we, as we look to the hard, the hard cases. We look really specifically even to the arguments that many who would defend uh, the justification of abortion, there's some hard situations that, that will and rightly should grab our hearts because of the hard and difficult situation that a woman might be going through. But, but to step back even from the emotion of it all and to actually just look to God's Word and say, how does God word, God's Word teach that we ought to believe regarding abortion even in these very difficult circumstances? So let's begin by looking to this statement regarding just a biblical statement on the sanctity of life. Every human life is created in the image of God by the wisdom of God for the glory of God. Three components to that statement and each are vitally important to realize that all human life is first of all created in the image of God. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. If you know your Bibles, you know Genesis chapter 1, God is laying out the creation account of how He spoke all things into being, brought about all that is through the power of His Word, and we get to mankind, to humanity. And there's a special focus. Genesis chapter 2 even retells the entirety of the story focused upon the creation of Adam and Eve. There was something unique about the creation of mankind. What is it? We read in verse 26, Genesis 1, God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. So male and female, a diversity in the creation of what human beings are, both equal in dignity and value and worth before the Father, both image bearers but distinct in role, purpose, and function. It's not a popular message in our day and age. There's a difference between what God has created and a a biological male versus a biological female. God created humanity with intentionality. He created us, male and female. He created them in His image. 
in his likeness, in his similitude. There, there's something unique about, about the creation of humanity that is different than the creation of the eagles or the whales or the turtles or whatever endangered species that we want to go to such great lengths to save. I'm all for that. It's a reflection of his glory, but not nearly as much so as one single human being. Because mankind, humanity, and humanity alone has been given this image of the divine, this image of the Creator made in His likeness. And you say, what all does that entail? Well, for one, I I think we've got to understand it like Moses would have understood it and like uh, even the Israelites coming out of Egypt would have understood it when they thought of being in the image of the gods. It did entail the authority that God gave to that person. And so the pharaohs were believed to be in the image of the gods. They ruled and reigned over Egypt with the authority of God on earth. And we see even in this text that mankind is given a a priority over all other created things. They had dominion over all the created realm. God placed mankind at the pinnacle of his creation. But I think there's more to it than just a position of authority and reflection of God's authority. There's something about humanity that's unique. And we know it because as much as a dog might provide some companionship, you know, in the little bit of a characteristics that would reflect that they might understand you or understand this little command or that little command. There's nothing, nothing that can replace the relationship between a, a man and a woman in the covenant of marriage. There's nothing that comes close to that intimacy of a relationship. That God has designed humanity with a unique capacity in the intellectual ability that He's given to us and the emotions that reside within us in the will even that is ours to choose and to act and to do. There is a capacity within humanity to know and to experience God unlike any other thing He's created. Mankind is unique. And because God has created every human being in His image, every human being bears that value. Doesn't matter how small or large, how little or how big, how educated or uneducated, how old and, and or how young, uh, all life, how rich or how poor, the homeless or the rich guy in the mansion down the road, there is an equal value because there is an equal image of God that they have been created in. This doesn't just apply to abortion when we talk about sanctity of life. It applies to the elderly and to the homeless and to the outcast and to those that are are on the edges of society that society pushes out and mocks and, and, and belittles that we as believers should see all people as created in the image of God. It is our motivation for treating every person equally with dignity and with respect no matter how scarred they are from the sins of their lives. They're image bearers of God. Every human life is created in the image of God. And now flip over to Psalm 139 and see every human life is created by the wisdom of God. Psalm 139 is a beautiful chapter in our Bibles. It's a a psalm of David reflecting on God's just omniscience and omnipresence, that He knows everything, that He's always with us, you can never flee His presence. And he, he reflects back on on even His creation and how God was intricately at work in His creation. Psalm 139, we'll just read verses 13 through 16. For you, God, formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. It wasn't just naturalistic causes of cause and effect and the way that the laws of nature are and the way that things develop. No, God is the one that is, is 
involved in that process. God is the one who is forming that unborn infant into what he desires it to be, knitting it together in his mother's womb. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works. And that my soul knows well, that my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. That's dealing with conception, life beginning even at conception, the sovereign hand of God at work to bring life, to create a a new life uh, out of the combining of two lives. It's amazing. Two can produce one. Uh, A miracle when conception occurs that God is at work in accomplishing, skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance, David is attributing personhood even to the substance before there are parts even formed in that embryo. He's he's attributing a, a personhood. You saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book, they were all written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. That every human life is created in the image of God, yes, but also created by the wisdom of God. God doesn't make mistakes when He creates a human life in a mother's womb. All by the wisdom of God, the miraculous power of God manifested in it and through it. Every life is created in the image of God by the wisdom of God. And notice thirdly, for the glory of God. Isaiah 43 is on the screen, verses 6 and 7. It says, Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Now, he's specifically dealing with Israel in the context here, but it applies to everyone. I think Colossians 1 highlights it where Paul writes, For by him all things were created that are in heaven and earth, that are visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. Reality is that every human being that's ever been created exists by, uh, in the image of God, by the wisdom of God, and ultimately for the glory of God. God has a purpose in their life. God has a purpose in their living. That is part one. We're not going to dwell anymore on it. Part two. What about the hard cases? What about the difficult situations? Surely we ought to believe that abortion is justified in certain circumstances. One argument that is often given is, what if the child is unwanted? What if the pregnancy is unwanted? What if the mother is unable financially to provide for the child? What if the circumstances of that woman's life aren't conducive to the birthing and rearing of a child? And the argument would say, isn't it better that that child just not even be born than to be born in a life where he or she is unwanted? Another even harder situation that confronts some, that's really less than 1% of abortions statistically, but what if the pregnancy occurred from something as atrocious as rape? Or incest. And what if it's that horrible, horrible, wicked sin that occurs? Um, shouldn't that woman be free and be justified in aborting a child, an unborn child in that situation? 
There's a third argument that I'm not going to categorize in the same category. Those two I would and I will address um, in the message this morning. But a third category that's even harder to, to wisely apply God's truth to are the situations where it's medically necessary for the saving of the mother, for the mother's life. I pray I'm never confronted with that. I pray you, you're never confronted with that. I pray I never have to walk through that situation with any of you. Um, it's, there's a lot that we would have to, a lot of nuances that you would have to think through in the particulars of a medical situation. Is it something that's just hypothetical, at a best guess, of a doctor's you know, wisdom? Or, or is this something that's factual, that like an ectopic uh, pregnancy where the, the child's not in the mother's womb and there's nothing that they can do to save the child? And uh, that, that's a hard thing. And if it's going to kill them both or you can save the mother... Um, there's got to be a lot of prayer and leading of the Spirit upon your life as you face that difficulty of a situation. I do know this, if there's two people that are tied together somehow hanging on a cliff, and I push one of them off in order to save the other, I, I don't know that I could justify that based upon you know, scriptural view of, of right action. I could never do a wrong thing to bring about a good result, and then that has to play out in the way we would pray through and and seek God through applying biblical principles to such a difficult situation. And so that's all I'm going to say on the, the, medically, um, the medical argument of, of having to make a decision for the saving of one or the other, what is right. That would have to be addressed uniquely for each and every particular circumstance and all the nuances of them. The other two are what I want to talk about. The other two situations of an unwanted pregnancy due to financial burden or just lifestyle situation and then also even the horrible situation of, of rape or incest is, is abortion biblically justified in those situations. Jeremiah chapter 20. Jeremiah chapter 20 this week, reading through, studying for Wednesday night, read some very shocking words from the prophet Jeremiah. We're about to read these very shocking words from the prophet Jeremiah. Chapter 20, verse 14. Jeremiah, the prophet of God, writes and says, Cursed be the day in which I was born. Let the day not be blessed in which my mother bore me. Let the man be cursed who brought news to my father, saying, A male child has been born to you, making him very glad. And let that man be like the cities which the Lord overthrew and did not relent. Let him hear the cry in the morning and the shouting at noon, because he did not kill me from the womb. My mother might have been my grave, and her womb always enlarged with me. Why did I come forth from the womb to see labor and sorrow that the days should be consumed with shame, that my days should be consumed with shame. Jeremiah writes these words under the immense suffering of a situation that he was going through. Jeremiah was called of God to be a prophet, to deliver a word of judgment to the people of Israel, and he was warned by God even that the people will not respond in, in repentance. The people will hate you for it. The people will despise you and not only mock you, but they will persecute you. And you'd read the beginning of chapter 20, and what you find is Jeremiah had been beaten before the audience he was proclaiming this message to that God had given him to preach. 
that Jeremiah was put into stocks after being whipped, after being beaten, that Jeremiah spent the night there as as a public mockery for all to come by and and spit upon, likely, and make a mockery of, because he was saying, God is going to judge you for the hardness of your hearts and your sins. And all the other prophets, the false prophets, they were saying, oh, God will never judge. God God saved us in the past. He'll keep saving us in the future. And so he, he, in a place of great depression... He, in a place of great dejection, hopelessness, writes this lament, pouring out his heart, saying that he even wishes that he was aborted. That's what he wrote. All that I was killed in my mother's womb. All that I was aborted instead of living the life that I am currently living. Instead of going through the suffering that I am currently facing. And as I read these words, I could not hear in his, in his logic that he's, he's using here the, the, the logic of, of the arguments of validating and justifying abortion in our day and age. That, that we can get to a place in our own, our own abilities, our own insight, to look at a life and to determine, is this life worth living, or is it better off that the life be terminated in the womb before being born into this earth. He's making the same determination that many of of those in in support of abortion strive to to make. If we read this passage in isolation, we don't really know what to do with it. If we read it in light of the chapters that come before it, especially the beginning of the book of Jeremiah, we come to understand a lot about Jeremiah's circumstance and Jeremiah's writing here. And what we come to see is it's not a right way of viewing his life at all. You do realize that none of us are as rational as we think we are, right? We like to think as humanity we are intellectual people. We are rational beings. And the reality is very, very far from it. We are not rational beings. We are held captive to the passions and emotions of our heart. And the heart, as Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 17, deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, who can know it? We, under the emotions of suffering, you know this experientially, under the emotions of suffering, can can come to conclusions, can justify actions under the emotions of, of suffering That if we could just step back from the situation and remove ourselves from the the immediate presence of of, of affliction, we could look at the big picture and we would never come to the same conclusion that we are deceiving ourselves to coming to in the midst of of affliction, in the midst of suffering. You know that experientially from your own life. You don't see as clearly when the weight of of emotional afflictions upon you as you do outside of that moment of affliction. Now we, by the grace of God, thankfully, have something that is called compassion. Compassion is a good thing. Compassion is the ability to feel somebody else's suffering. And so you're moved to sympathy by compassion. You, Though you're not going through it, you can feel the same, the same emotional affliction that that person is going through and sympathize with them. So compassion is a good thing. But we, in our faulty, rational way that we let emotions blind us often to the truth of what ought to be in a situation, we have the danger, and there are actually people that are very skillful at this, of, of using emotions and, and compassion in a way to lead us to 
receive something as good or as justified that if we would just step back from the emotion of it, we'd realize, wait a second, we can't think this way about it. And it's hard because compassion is a good thing. Compassion is a right thing. And we want to have compassion for a woman in all of these situations. But we cannot let compassion blind us from the truth that God has, from the truth that is God's. What I want to ask for a moment is, I'm going to give a word that really is a word to Jeremiah in light of Jeremiah chapter 1 that is also a word to us as we think through those two particular hard issues, hard cases of an unwanted pregnancy, unable to provide, unable to support for a child, and then also even the the horrible situation of of a rape or incest. Is it right as we feel compassion in that, that true need, in that true suffering for us to justify the use of abortion in such situations? Jeremiah is lamenting, verse 17, because the man that announced his birth did not kill him from the womb. He says, my mother might have been my grave. And then he says in verse 18, why did I come forth from the womb to see labor and to see sorrow that my days should be consumed? Go back to Jeremiah chapter 1. That was Jeremiah's perception of his life. But go back to Jeremiah chapter 1 and listen to God's perception of his life and of his birthing. Then the word of the Lord, verse 4, came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, Jeremiah. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Hear me. Don't let the emotions of your present sufferings or compassion blind you to God's Word. There's a dangerous temptation in in suffering and even in compassion being felt for those that are suffering to to justify things that God's Word is clearly against and to see things in our, our, our short-sighted perception. You realize that's what's happening in the life of Jeremiah here. Because of the suffering in his life, he has become very, very short-sighted. He's not seeing the big picture anymore. All he knows is the present suffering that he's going through and he forgets the Word of God that was given to him. And as he forgets the word of God that was declared over him, about him, he gets to a place of of analyzing his situation and saying, it would have been better that I was aborted. Better, Better to have been killed in my mother's womb. And yet God is the one who said, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. I have sanctified you before you were born. I've ordained you and set you apart to this work that I am calling you to. Jeremiah was not speaking with reasoning based upon God's Word. He had forgotten God's Word to him. He was speaking emotionally with a short-sighted feeling about his present distress. The pain of his current situation made him forget the Word of God. Jeremiah saw his life as a curse. God had declared it was a chosen life. Jeremiah saw his days as sorrowful and filled with shame, and God had called his days ordained, appointed by God before he was even born. Jeremiah forgot that it was not his choice 
to determine if his life was worth living, nor his mother's choice, nor his father's choice. He forgot it was God's choice if that life was worth living. You would do well to realize that today. It is not, it's not in you or of you or in you or of me to determine the value of a life, to determine if a life is worth living or if a life is not worth living based upon the, the circumstances that we in our little pea brain, finite abilities, come to know. We are not God. A mother doesn't know. A father doesn't know. God. God alone knows. Don't let the emotions of your present suffering, compassion, blind you to God's Word, first of all. Secondly, don't let it blind you to God's presence. Jeremiah, under his suffering, got to a place where he undoubtedly, as we just read, felt that God had abandoned him and left him. Jeremiah did not remember God's promise that we read in verse 8. Jeremiah, um, verse 6, he he says, God, I'm young, I can't speak. And what does God say? Verse 7, But the Lord said to me, Do not say I'm a youth, for you shall go to all whom I send you, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Don't be afraid of their faces. Why? For I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. I am with you, Jeremiah, to deliver you in all that you'll go through. Jeremiah, in that moment, in that affliction, as he came to to assume the place of God, even in analyzing if his life was even worth living, he, he neglected to remember that God was with him through it all. It's easy to let our emotions blind us to the fact that God has promised He will never leave us nor forsake us, no matter what we go through. You know, most women, according to the polls and studies that are out there, most women who have an abortion, they don't do so because they were aspiring someday to have an abortion, and that was on their bucket list. They do so because in that situation that they come to find themselves in an unwanted pregnancy, whether that is of their own volition or whether that's of the horrible situation of rape, they find themselves in an unwanted pregnancy, and they, in that moment, feel hopeless. They, in that moment, feel so isolated and alone that that most make the determination for abortion because they feel as if there is no other option. There is no other way out. Oh, that they knew that there was a God who was with them even in their affliction. There was a God who says, if you just trust me and follow me, I, I will provide. I will Make the way where there is no way. That's the God that we serve, the God of, of hope. They feel alone and dejected, and they feel and convince themselves it's better to terminate the pregnancy. I, I, I don't want to ever speak on this subject without, as if I'm isolated from it. Like I don't ever, even though I am to some degree. Like, like, I have to imagine, as I even give the advice I'm giving now, like, what if someday, what if someday that were my daughter? What if my daughter were raped and became pregnant? I don't like to think that way. I don't like to think that way. But what if such a horrible, wicked thing were to happen? 
Would I come to convince myself in that suffering that it would be better to terminate that life of an unborn child? I don't know what I'll do if I were in the middle of the moment. I pray I never would, but I can say from being isolated from it a little bit, I I would say, I, I pray there's no way I'd ever get to that point, that I would never be deceived. And it is a deception to think that that will make things better. It doesn't. And, and studies, even secular studies, show the post-traumatic syndrome, the, the other mental dis- disorders and struggles that, that women go through who, who have to live on the other side of an abortion that's been made out to be this great thing that's going to bring freedom and going to bring you know a solving to all of their issues and they get to the other side and, and all of that isn't there. What's there is the scars of sin. And even in that hard situation of rape, to think that, that two wrongs can make a right, to think that we're justified in making a, 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 a committing a, a bad action because a bad action was committed to us, what happens in those situations is, is the woman now is not only dealing with the, 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 the severe scarring of what was done to her, but then dealing with the shame and guilt of making the decision to terminate the child's life. Sin, all sin, is deceptive. It promises that things will be better, but as you walk down the pathway of sin, what you find is it is no better. It's actually worse. It brings greater devastation. It brings greater brokenness. Oh, if we had time for me to share the stories of how people in the midst of these hard situations that I'm talking about choose to follow God's way, and what they find is the the blessing even in the suffering. And what they find is even the child that came from such a, a horrible a horrible start doesn't need to bear the guilt and shame of his father, the punishment of his father, but actually can turn out to be a blessing beyond what was ever imagined in a person's life. And that brings me to the third point. Don't let the emotions of your present suffering and compassion blind you to God's work. God's work in the midst of it all, even the bad of it all, even the the horrible parts of it all, to realize God's Word is still true, that that God is still present, and that He is at work, that Romans 8.28 is true. All things, even the horrible things, like the crucifixion of the Son of God, all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are the called according to His purpose. Jeremiah had forgotten that God was at work in the midst of his suffering. Even though God had told Jeremiah he would be rejected and persecuted, even though God warned him that that, that the hard times were coming in the midst of the emotional affliction of it all, he, he, he forgot the work of God that was being accomplished through his suffering. He's a prophet of God, recorded in our Bible, for goodness sake. We're reading of his his example, and God's Spirit has inspired it for our learning and our instruction. Now it speaks even thousands of years later uh, as an indictment against the people of God and the hardness of their, their sin in that day and age. But Jeremiah, in that moment that he wrote those words, he he wasn't seeing the big picture. He wasn't seeing the entirety of the work of God. I know in my life, and you know it in yours, in the moment of affliction and suffering, it's hard to see the big picture. It's hard to see the next hour, much less the big picture. And it's easy to forget that God is at work even in our darkest hour. 
tell you the story of a woman who had an unwanted pregnancy and was advised for her that even the parents wanted an abortion because of the crazy life she was living, no way she could raise a child, but she, she went through and had the child, and, and God did a work in that. All of a sudden, a lady who was living only for her own self-interest had another person in her life, a child, and it radically changed her life and set her on a total different trajectory. Just one little example of the way in which things that we sometimes view as hardships and burdens that you know ought to be ought to be aborted can actually turn out to be some of the greatest blessings in a person's life. Ultimately, what it really comes down to is this question: Is there any hope? in my present situation. Is there any hope for a woman in an unwanted pregnancy? Is there any hope for a woman with a child that was in no way planned? The horrible act that was committed that led to that pregnancy. Is there any hope? To choose abortion is to say there is no hope. Terminate. Hit the termination button because it's hopeless. Choose life. To choose life is to say, no, there is hope. I know the God of all hope. I have a hope that I know His Word is true. I have a hope that He's with me in the midst of the horrible situation, the hard situation I'm walking through. I have a hope that God's at work in the midst of it all, and He's a God who takes ashes and He he makes beauty. He gives beauty in return that that even our darkest hour and our worst struggle, when we look back at it years later, can be some of the most precious and beautiful things that have ever happened in our lives. That's the kind of God that this Scripture reveals to us. If we want to be Christians who cop out and buy into a worldly, secular God, Godless ideology regarding the value of life and the justification of abortion, so be it. But I will not. And I pray we do not. I need to close with one more point and we'll go to an invitation. Every time I've preached a message like this, it seems like there's maybe one, maybe two in the congregation that sometime back in their life they've either had an abortion or been close to one who has. I just want to share with you the words of a lady, an older lady that came up two years ago to me. And after the message, she said, I just want you to know back in the 70s I wasn't married and I had an abortion. And she said, it's one of the biggest regrets of my life. I wasn't a believer then, I am now. And, And it's one of those things that if I could go back, I would absolutely change. But she said this, she says, but I know, I know Jesus has forgiven me for it. And there's, there's where this is a gospel issue all the way around. It's not just a political issue. This is a gospel issue. Is there hope in our disparity? Is there, there, there in our despair? Is there, there hope in, in our brokenness, in our, our sin? And the gospel comes in and says, yes, there is, because we just sang it. He became sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. But if there's an abortion in your past, you don't justify it and you don't try to just cover it up and pretend it's not there. No, you take it to the cross of Christ and you say, Jesus, you died for this just like you died for everything else. Forgive me. And what you find is His grace and His mercy that He's he's just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
we just come to Him. We just turn to Him. And so I want to close with that word of hope. Hope that we have in the forgiveness of our sins. Hope that we have no matter how devastating and broken the circumstance may seem. We follow God and we find that His hope, that hope in Him endures. That hope in Him lasts beyond the grave. Heavenly Father, I come to You and I ask that You would take Your Word and just my scattered thoughts even this morning. Lord, use them for Christ's name's sake. That in this room, all who have heard Your Word would come to, come to see the value that all human life has. Lord, it is true. All human life is created in Your image, by Your wisdom, for Your glory. Lord, that means even in the hard situations, we have to we have to apply that truth. We have to value life. Lord, to realize as we do that Your grace is sufficient, that You are there, You never leave us nor forsake us, that You provide and You make a way where there seems to be no way. And then, Lord, to see it in the big picture and know often our greatest struggles become our greatest blessings. Lord, give us that eternal perspective. Give us that big picture. Help us to not be driven by emotionalism. Lord, if there be any here who are struggling with this, any here who are struggling with past issues, Lord, may they hope in You. May they find Your grace this morning. Lord, give us a compassionate heart, I pray. Lord, help us to minister to those, to serve those who are in such need, who are facing the decision before them. Lord, we pray all of this for the Gospel's sake, that through Christ we receive the glory He's due for. In Jesus' name.